0: i like to turn to Psalm 2, which we read a moment ago. Draw our attention, well, both this week and next week, to verses 1 and 2. Why do the nations rage, and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. The folly of man. That's the title this week, the title next week, The Folly of Man. I think we find it here, actually. I think we find it in those opening verses. This is quite a psalm. It's right there, isn't it, at the beginning of the Psalter, the worship of God's people. The focus of their, their thoughts, Psalm 1, takes them to very personal matters, doesn't it? The place that God's word is to have in their heart. Contrast between the righteous and the ungodly, those who do, those who don't seek the word of God. And then Psalm two takes it to the nations, doesn't it? Psalm one's personal, that you, me. Psalm two takes a more global perspective, more universal, comprehensive perspective, looks at the nations. So in effect, it is the same story with the nations as with the individuals. What is a nation? The sum of all its parts, the people. They go to make up that nation. But Psalm 2 does rivet our attention, doesn't it? With what God there in types and shadows, but there unmistakably has his king. The one who he has said, you are my son today. I have begotten you. And that today is an eternal today. It is not a fixed day. The day that always was, always is, always will be eternally begotten son of God spoken of there. Contrast between the kings of the earth and God's king that he has set on his holy hill of Zion. Well, the nations in that context there, particularly with uh, Israel working its purpose out, God's purpose, the nation that was to be the, the evidence of God's grace and God's mercy, the evidence of God's promises writ large, promises in the future to be realized, and yet surrounded by enmity, nations that hated what it stood for, hated the God that they worshipped, and sought with all their power and energy at times to destroy that work of God. To no great success. And so today, well, we can take ourselves on from that particular economy into present day economy, the church. Well, it always was all about the church, wasn't it? For there within Israel, the true Israel, always was that remnant saved by grace. And there we are, the remnant saved by grace and surrounded by heathen, pagan ideas. Well, we find enough heathen, pagan nations, if we look to them, we sure can. But if we sort of hold it there in a more general sense, the ideas that still animate people, animate people, even what ostensibly are Christian nations, though so, i know, hard put to find anything that resembles a Christian nation in history, you find nations where the governments and the kind of state church are intertwined, That has not usually meant good things for the true church when that has happened. But those heathen ideas, godless ideas, opposed ideas that reign themselves against the true church, reign themselves against God, against his plans, his intentions and his laws. And there are actual people. We can name the kings. We can name the rulers. We can name the nations or the ideas that rage and kind of, bringing together conspiracies of like-mindedness, sharing, well, often not sharing much in common, except their common hatred of the things of God. So unlikely alliances that you find forming. Ideas, people who hold ideas, so you think they have not much in common there, but no, they do, because they're united in their opposition to the God of the Bible. And we know beyond that, beyond people. And the ideas that there are spiritual powers, friends, aren't there? There are spiritual powers, those hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. That we are told, and here here is a battle, here is a raging, here is plotting, here are kings kind of reigning themselves, setting themselves in battle formation, council they're taking together, kind of interplay of military commanders, as it were, Organizing themselves, but beyond them, that our battle is not against flesh and blood. These people don't actually know what they're about. They don't know that actually they have been led this way. Their thoughts, which to them seem strikingly original, strikingly independent, why fully justified maybe, are actually just thinking the devil's thoughts after him, are merely reproducing the one that really in the end they're serving the father of lies, murderer from the beginning. And that is where they find themselves. For that battle that there was announced in the Garden of Eden, beginning of our history, Genesis chapter 3, there in verse 14, the Lord curses the serpent, curses the devil, and his enmity, and his opposition, and his mindedness to destroy everything that is precious to God. And God declares to the serpent, but we were meant to hear it. Because you've done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the fields on your belly. You shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Unmistakable. This psalm is messianic. Christ is there, writ large. And this enmity and this battle, is that battle? It's what's happening there, right at the beginning. This enmity, the seed ultimately of those who flesh and blood, but dancing to a tune that's the devil's, marching to his instructions and his counsel. Well, he has only enmity against the Lord, against his Anointed. Everything that God regards as precious. And we know that in that, well, there is a victory. Final, emphatic victory. In fact, it's already happened. It's when Christ went to the cross, there, the decisive blow to all of the nation's raging. and The people's plotting was dealt. Though it bruised the heel of our Saviour, though his sufferings were extreme and extraordinary. But the outcome, never, ever, in doubt. And today, dear friends, as his seed, as belonging to him, we're still in that battle. And we're still finding against us ideas. And the people that represent those ideas, standing opposed to all that God has declared is good, right, and precious. And beyond them, this same serpent, there at the beginning, still around today, finally going to be absolutely defeated he knows his days are short he knows he's defeated but it doesn't stop him any more than it stops anybody else who knows they're defeated not still pursuing a scorched earth policy not looking to destroy as much as they can before their final doom which is writ so the psalm brings us great contrast yes between the plans of man and beyond them the one that's agitating them and the plans Of God, the kings of the earth. Well, they sound impressive, don't they? Until you realize the contrast. Right there, isn't it? Verse four. Ah, he who sits in the heavens shall laugh. There they are raging and plotting. I'm thinking they're very wise, actually. Very clever. Thinking that uh, they know what they're doing. Where this is all going. How they're going to get there. But they don't. And there's heaven's verdict. He laughs. laughs. He laughs at them laughs at their big plans and their big talk, and indeed holds them in derision. That's strong, isn't it? Holding somebody in derision, that they're so unworth thinking about, of so little importance, so lacking in any kind of depth and stature, that they're a marvel, that they are so incompetent, so unwise, so foolish. The derision is what the king above Holds them in, and well, then he has wrath in store for them. Just as Satan's head's going to be bruised, any that follow him will have their heads bruised as well. He will speak to them in his wrath, distress them in his deep displeasure. Not meant to miss that, aren't we? Deep displeasure. He's not happy with them at all, and he declares to them who have ideas, these kings of the earth and these rulers, taking counsel together. Ultimately against God and against his anointed. We see the son there, can't we? We can see father, son, and, well, we won't have to work too hard to find the work of the Holy Spirit either. Trinitarian, everything is, it's there in the Old Testament, as clearly as in the new. Against his anointed, yes, against God. They're wanting to cast them away, to break the bonds, the restraints, the limits, the... You shall do this, not that, that God has declared. They want rid of it. They want done with it. But they hear instead a decree, not plots, not a council taken from very, very fallible military rulers taking their orders from an already defeated foe. But the Lord passes a decree, in verse 7, doesn't he? And he speaks it to his son. If it's a decree of God, it's fixed. This is not going to fail. And he has set him, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. We hear that. We're meant to hear that. This is his son. And what is he giving to his son? The nations. He is to ask. And he will be given in covenant arrangement here. The nations. The very nations that are raging. The very peoples that are plotting a vain thing. They think they've got plans, setting themselves, taking counsel. But no. The ends of the earth actually are Christ's possession. This king that he has set on his holy hill for all their talk, God says, yet I have done this. That is it. That's the end of the argument. And this son of mine is going to rule these nations. And those who oppose him better watch out. They really had. He'll break them with a rod of iron. Dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Or they're going to break their bonds in pieces, they say in verse 3. Cast away their cords from us, they say. Not at all. They, in fact, are going to find raining down upon them the punishments that are reserved. And then verses 10 to 12, we're just really summarizing what we hear. There is the instruction. Draw a conclusion. For us all to draw in our smaller way. But really, it's for kings. That's suits it's addressed to. Be wise. Be instructed. Learn. Listen. Futility of what you are doing. You are to serve the Lord. Serve his son. Not yourselves. Not your own plans here. And you better fear. And if you're rejoicing, you better do it with trembling. Because he's great God. And you best make your peace with him in verse 12 there. When he's angry. When his wrath is kindled but a little, you will perish in the way. Hope at the end. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. Timely warning. What contrast there. All this activity on the earth. All this commotion. All this raging. All this action. There's heaven. Ruffled, undisturbed by it. Everything arranged in order. The sun ruling, reigning despite what the kings are saying, what they're trying to do. And indeed, instead, a word from heaven, a timely word of counsel to those kings of the earth, those rulers setting themselves, stop, listen, be warned, make your peace actually with God. Don't pursue your present course of action. So there's a summary. Messianic to the core. It's all about Christ, yes, right there in the Old Testament, right at the beginning of Psalms, giving us a grand perspective. And there's Hebrews chapter 1, tying the son in, as it were, to to this psalm here. And that was quoted, isn't it? You are my son, today begotten you. Didn't say that to any of the angels, only to his son. And we draw the conclusions we should from that. And the throne that's his, which again, Hebrews 1, draws upon Psalm 45, draws upon Psalm 102, and makes the Lord Jesus Christ to be the fulfillment of that. Yet, I have set my king, my holy hill of Zion. Nobody argue, let nobody dispute it. Well, my first heading, which really this sermon is a bit of an introduction to what we're going to consider in more detail, I trust next week God's sparing us. But The present situation. The present situation. Well, how many sermons would I need to tell you anything meaningful about that? This is going to be pretty superficial, really, I have to say, by way of apology. But we might smile to ourselves, pandemic, what pandemic? Do you remember it? Uh, We were there, weren't we, in lockdown two years ago, and all of that, and all the ferrari of that. Now you're hard put to find a headline which has got pandemic in it, all the latest statistics, coronavirus, despite the fact that at the moment it's pretty rampant. And uh, Omicron is marching through the nation at this time. But you'll be hard put to find that in the news, SAGE, that uh, advisory body, they're disbanded. And the variants, I'm sure, are all out there. We used to follow them diligently, didn't we? We used to be variant watchers. And, uh, well, are we any more? Because there's new news, isn't there? And now the statistics are ones coming out of Ukraine, casualties, how many people killed, how many Russian tanks destroyed, or generals who have died in the battle. How many refugees are looking to leave, looking to come to this country? How many refugees are we allowed into this country? How many of other countries allowed? Those are the new kind of headline figures, aren't they? Those, those are the new, the new things that we're now paying attention to. That's our present situation. Well, a few comments, really. As I say, this is something of an introduction. But first of all, really, the pulpit is not the place to give you a kind of detailed breakdown of all that's happening, all the background to it, how we ended up here, where it's going to go from here. I don't know. Couldn't say that I'm that competent any more than I was competent to tell you about, uh, Coronavirus. Not an epidemiologist, or epidemiologist son. A bit of a mouthful. That one I won't try that too often. But I'm not any more than I'm an expert on uh, Eastern European politics, or post-war relations, or post the fall of the Berlin Wall relations between the West and Russia, what Russia's intentions and hopes are. Not a military expert. Can't tell you the significance of the figures that we hear. Uh, how many tanks have gone, how many aircraft have fell. I don't know whether that's significant or not. I know this, and you all know this so I'm sure, that facts are hard to come by. Facts are hard to come by. First casualty of war, truth. And we are not always sure what we're hearing, reading, whether we've got context for it, what the significance of it is, the relevance of it is, or even the truthfulness of it is. Because truth is the first cal- casualty of war. And you'll hear people talk about nuclear weapons, chemical weapons, World War Three, and you'll hear, I'm sure, more about it. And we wonder as Christians, well, as we wonder with the pandemic, well, we might wonder, can't answer the question this morning, but does this move things in a significant way forward in these last days, perhaps of last days? Maybe, maybe. Maybe there is something we cannot see at the moment, out of all the ruin, the rubble, the misery and the death, something that's going to move things on in in that way in which perhaps we are awaiting fulfillment of in Scripture, moving us towards, well, the final kings of the earth who set themselves against the Lord and against his anointed, against his people, against the church, that we perhaps, many of us are expecting to see form, gradually emerge and who knows, these events may be pointing us toward that. Well, we are also uh, perhaps aware that the media, social media, all kinds of media, mass uh, media, the mainstream media, legacy media, call it what you will, is pretty flawed. I have to say that I think experience has taught over the last couple of years. Very, very flawed. And we are wise to... Hold some distance between ourselves and the facts as they are given. Be very suspicious, too, of those who claim to be the fact-checkers, who are going to check the facts for us. I don't think they're always quite as unbiased as they would have us believe them to be. Take care. Take care, following the media. I'm sure you know that already, but let me just say it again. Uh, we can all uh, get uh, very agitated, feel very strongly about things, a lot to feel strong about, that's true. You see the horrors that have been inflicted. But then we also remind ourselves, well, whatever opinions we may come to, whatever judgments you may form that I may form, we don't exactly have the ear of the prime minister. We don't exactly have the ear of President Putin or President Zelensky there in, in Ukraine. We have no voice there that is heard, no listening ear that's interested in what the sermon preached at Christ Baptist Church on the morning of Sunday, the 27th of March was saying, well, happy to be proved wrong, but I wonder. But we do have one ear that is very much open to us. That's God's ear. And that our thoughts are best actually arrowed to heaven, directed toward him. For God is a God who is able to do mighty works. I have Psalm 46 and Verses 8 to 11, which in many ways also is a psalm to have before us, isn't it? At these times, come, behold the works of the Lord, who has made desolations in the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two, burns the chariot in the fire. Be still, and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. It goes on, doesn't it? The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. We can pray to him, friends. Look what he can do. He can make wars cease to the end of the earth. He brings the bow and destroys it. The spear he cuts in two. Well, the sun does break them with a rod of iron, doesn't he? Superior wisdom, superior power. Dashes them to pieces like a potter's vessel. No wonder they're told to be still and know that I'm God. There they are in their raging, sort of advised here to go into a kind of mindless ecstasy or some be still. How misused that text is in the church and through the world. No, stop and look. It's saying consider God, consider him. Look at all the nations. And again, Psalm 46 takes us there, doesn't it? The earth being removed, mountains being carried into the midst of the sea waters roaring, verse 3, mountains shaking with its swelling. And we have the nations raging in verse 6 of Psalm 46. The nations raged, kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice, the earth melted. That's what happened to it, it melted. What was this again about the raging, the moving? Ah, he uttered his voice, he spoke. And that was it, end all. So we can pray to that God We may not have Putin's ear, we may not have Boris Johnson's ear, don't worry. We have God's ear, and that's a far more relevant ear. The ear that in the end counts, because that's the power and the authority that counts. He's the one going to be exalted among the nations. He's the one whose son is going to inherit them all. They're his. may not know it, may not own that kingship, but they'll wake up one day and realise that they are his, whether that's good news to them whether that's bad news to them one day. What else can we do? Well, humanitarian help. We've appreciated our friends at the European Mission Fellowship and their diligence. We've appreciated our friends in Ukraine, in Moldova, in uh, Poland, in Romania, who are opening up their church buildings, opening up their homes to refugees. Glad to be able to support, pray for them. Glad to have been able to contribute financially toward them, and that contribution uh can continue there in a private capacity. We know over at Watchhorn, they're gathering supplies to uh, uh sort of have a sort of central point there that they can then be taken out further to Ukraine itself to find people there. We we are glad of that, glad to be part of that in the small way that we are part of that, and how much we are eager to. Offer that support, feel, Don't we at times so helpless seeing the things, the horror stories that we we read, the miseries that people are having inflicted upon them? But we're perhaps also, as well, within it, feel in a way compelled to arrive at some kind of moral judgment. Okay, it's not a moral judgment that uh, it's going to cut much ice with President Putin, with he learns that uh, the pastor at Christo-Baptist Church or people who attend Christo-Baptist Church and X, Y, or Z all concluded this, that, or the other about him, or Ukraine, or about anybody else. Probably not going to lose too much sleep in that way. But we ourselves, perhaps, as Christians, with open Bible, want as best we can to understand, and want as best we can to arrive at a perspective and, and to be able to, to say something, if anybody asks us, they rarely do, but anybody asks us uh, our thoughts upon these things, uh, beginning with the coronavirus epidemic. we I had somebody uh, ask me what I thought all these things were about, and uh, it was an opportunity at least to say something. And even though we may not be able to arrive, and no doubt we were a definitive answer or a definitive solution, well, that would be a nice thing to come to, wouldn't it? But I don't think that's quite what God will give to us. And we always have to remember that we... Are very much put firmly in our place, as the disciples were put firmly in their place. And just turning to Acts 1, verses 7 and 8, when before the Lord was taken up, and he said to the disciples, when they'd asked, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? was the answer. And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons, which the Father has put in his own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, Samaria, to the end of the earth. Wanting to know what will happen to nations, our own nation. What's what's going to happen? Are we in for a glory day to come? Is is there something down the track? Are we going to live to see it? And the Lord completely diverts their attention from that. He tells them, not for you to know that. That's my father. He sets these things. He has that authority. You get on with the work of preaching. For to God belong these things. Act 17, preaching in Athens. Paul says there in verse 26, intriguing. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. The boundaries of their dwellings. They should communities he sets their times he he preappoints. they're set by his own authority and just as the disciples were not to get sort of bogged down a bit in a bit of Israel nationalism or make Israel great again kind of campaign we're told he said no forget that part that's in God's province you get on with the gospel preaching but it's interesting Acts 17 verse 26 that here are these pre-appointed times and boundaries of their their dwellings this nation of men dwelling on all the face of the earth are they therefore to get bogged down in that are they to be celebrating nationalisms and such things no verse 27 says so that they should seek the lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him though he's not far from each one of us the providence of where they live the nations that they live in what citizenship they have on earth, all these things. are not meant to make them think, oh, well, we will now fight for this, or we will defend this to the hilt, whether we're right or whether we're wrong. But it's that they might seek him, that they might enjoy the blessings, of nationhood of their towns, their cities, the sunshine that warms their backs, the rain that makes their fields to grow wheat or whatever else it does, and look for God, seek him says so there indeed, what happens if you seek him on your own without his help? Well, you'll, you'll grope, uh, you'll grope for him, though he's not far. He's there. He's writ large in nature. He's writ large in all the kindnesses and the providences and the escapes from death. And he's there, of course, here in the Bible. And he's there in the gospel. And that message there is is there and everywhere in the world these days, not far from any of them. And that is where the nationhood To take them. That's where they're living here is to preoccupy them, make them think the great God disperses people, who gives to them their their places of habitation and sets the boundaries for them. How interesting. And we must say, mustn't we here, and I'll say some obvious things in this, I don't know whether it's any help at all, whether it's even my place (laughs) to say it from the pulpit. But no one party in any conflict is blameless. No one party, one side, if there are sides, and I guess that there are no one side is blameless as though they have all a hundred percent right and the others are all a hundred percent wrong. And that that makes it easier for us to get on with what we're doing. Uh, and, and that we do that. I think people rightly are counseling against, you know, sort of Russophobia, kind of phobia of all things Russian, canceling I mean, Tchaikovsky's concerts there. And, cancelling Russian conductors because they haven't sufficiently or if at all denounced this campaign. Will people wonder, is that really, really quite what we should be about here? So we are careful not to blame 100% them, exonerate 100% them or ourselves. There is carefulness needed and we have to guard our own hearts, watch our own attitudes, make sure we don't get carried away one way or the other in this but one has to say this i think one is compelled to say this that such extreme destruction visited upon civilians discriminate shelling and no uh, military hardware can with such sufficient pinpoint accuracy just pick out military targets no it's going to be a there's going to be some misses it's going to hit hospitals, it's going to hit schools, it's going to hit civilians and their places. Such extreme destruction would have to have an extraordinarily, extraordinarily high warrant, uh, justification to pursue a war, pursue a campaign in that particular way. Terrorists, Ukraine such threat to russia that this had to be done in this way or else they would perish and that their whole future was was going to collapse i don't think we're persuaded are we that it's worth this it's worth killing so many people displacing 10 million we learn trying to leave ukraine fleeing for their lives justifies that and we would have to say what country would threaten chemical weapons what country or leadership would threaten to use such things? Yet we know that Russia has in cahoots with Syria against the Syrian people under President Assad uh, back uh, some years ago. And so we hear that and we wonder what kind of operation this can be, what kind of thinking this can be. The things it's justified that you're acting in your own self defense to destroy houses, homes to, well, we hear some pretty horrible stories of people, unarmed people, are being indiscriminately killed and now threatened with chemical warfare. Is it proportionate to the perceived threat? I don't think any case can be made out for that. I don't think it's an adequate moral case for this being pursued in the way that it is. And that's not to say that there are not past wrongs. Ukraine is wholly innocent, its actions. And back in 2014, and how the president then was ousted from office and the rest of it. Well, I have to say, it looked a bit of a mess. It looked a mess at the time. And I guess it looks a mess still, looking back on it. Or NATO, or the EU. I well, guess we left the EU, didn't we? We had problems with them, did we? And were they faultless in this? Well, there were some who would say no. There there, there have been difficulties. There have been Things perhaps that the West got wrong within all of this didn't didn't listen, didn't perhaps take seriously Russian paranoia, maybe that's a bit of a generalization, perhaps that's something that uh still the leadership there hang hangover from Soviet days, a bit of a paranoia kind of uh attitude mindset we're careful, mean Putin there is trying to uh kind of hold himself up as the saviour of Western culture. He's offering to be the one who'll, you know, rehabilitate J.K. Rowling, who, you know, had the temerity to say that uh you know women actually have wombs and that kind of thing. And uh just to say a woman's a woman, which of course uh, here in the West at the moment is like almost a capital offence. Well from Putin there <laughs> you say, well I don't say that. A woman's a woman in my book, and a man's a man. But I don't think we regard him as a sufficient high guardian of of Western Christian values uh, when we see how he is following through with this particular war. Not that we don't. Look at the decay of Western culture, deplore it. K, that we're unable to actually say what a woman is. That it's, uh, you can get an uh, a, um, opposition, a the spokesperson there, some standing who who really does not want to say what a woman is. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. So we look and we find plenty that's amiss in us. We find lack of resolve. We find lack of moral fiber. We find an emptiness where once the Ten Commandments were. Now secularism, which is nothing. (laughs) It's emptiness is left there instead. So a few comments, and that's probably taken up most of the sermon, hasn't it? But to finish my second heading briefly, an important question. Isn't it? That's asked right at the beginning of Psalm two. Why, why, why do the nations rage, and the people plot a vain thing? He's asking the question. Interesting, isn't it? Who, who's asking that question? Is it the psalmist, or almost asking on behalf of us all, kind of looking himself, perplexed, amazed, and just trying to work this one out, if you will. I suppose a bit of it is, but I think actually God is asking. The question, not because he doesn't know the answer, not because uh, he's frustrated, you know, with, why are they doing this? You know, when people misbehave, why are they doing it? We're frustrated, aren't we? What's in their minds that they should do this? Uh, or just exasperated or perplexed. Or we might say if we're out of our depth that we just don't understand what's going on here. Why are they behaving like this? No. God knows exactly why they're behaving Like this. And he invites us, as it were, to share his perspective. He's going to answer his own question, if you like, there. He he poses a question that's meant to make us ask questions and to begin to shift our alignment, to come into biblical thinking, to come up higher, just as John was invited, wasn't he, the book of Revelation, come up, see the thing from the perspective of the throne room, to see where heaven's perspective on this is. So we're invited to that. Here's the question. We answer it. God can. Can we see it? Well then, pause. Be still. Know that God is God. See it from his perspective. Follow through with where scripture takes it as it takes us to his son. See it. It's futile. It's the folly of man. This is what uh, the sermon title is, and we'll warm to that subject a bit more, God willing, next week. But... It's the folly of man. How absolutely foolish. God is inviting us to see its folly. It's going nowhere. It's doomed to fail. Why? Because, well, God holds all these things in his hands. His son has the ends of the earth for his possession. He has them as his inheritance. How can they believe that somehow they can shake off their bonds and shake off their cords from us? Really? As if we're invited to think, that's amazing. We're incredulous. We are amazed. And so that is why the Lord then follows up in verse 4 with laughter. This is incredible. How foolish of them to think that this will work, that their plans will prevail. And, of course, within it, too, there's an invitation to the nations to follow through verses 10 to 12. Wake up. See where this is going. All of this big talk and talk battle formations, fighting against what i have appointed it's going to end in your ruin so there as the nations are the sums of men's hearts raging against god plotting against him kind of conspiracies well, i haven't time to read psalm 83 and verses 1 to 8 and psalm 48 and verses 1 to 6 but it is isn't it a feature of sinful man james chapter 4 We're studying James, not a little while ago, but James chapter 4, verses 1 to 4. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure, but war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have, because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive, because you ask amiss, that you may spend it on your pleasures. Father invites his son to ask of him to have the nations as his inheritance. Uh, he's not going to use them for his pleasures, but for the display of his glory. What misery there! Folly of man! The individual war, the fight that's happening here, and now we see it in nations, and we see it in their belligerents, we see it in their leaders, we see them following through with that. So, friends. In a way, don't wonder at it. Do not wonder at it. Perhaps the wonder is we've not seen more of it in our lifetime. Other people would say, you've been favoured. generation, you've missed an awful lot of wars and rumours of wars. Lived through more than than we ha- we've had to live through, perhaps most of us. Here we are now, but don't wonder at it. It's a world, it's folly of man, hubris and pride and everything else that goes with it. But our perspective that we hold to is that one that holds to a heavenly perspective. That We see it in a wider context. Wars and rumors of wars the Lord said would come. And then he said this, do not be troubled. What he said, do not be troubled. You wouldn't know that from the media, would you? You wouldn't get that from uh, out there and what people are saying. They're mighty troubled. Well, yes, it's troubling. And we're concerned and we are seeing the tragedy. So much loss of life, so much destruction, so much misery Inflicted, And we have to say, for (laughs) what? The folly of man? Oh, for what? But there, friends, is our perspective above. There we see it from God's point of view. And we align our thinking with that. And we align our emotions and our fears and our troubled thoughts within to see it as he sees it. And to know that actually that's where our citizenship ultimately belongs. Not here. The world is passing and all that is in it. We belong somewhere else, friends, and we must ever, ever remember that. God willing, then, we pick up the theme in a little more detail next week as we consider the folly of man, part two.